HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at comté-usa.com. That's c-o-m-t-e-usa.com. This week on Meet and Three, we dedicate our stories to elders, grandparents, and family members who came before us. Some people called on the phone. What time is your appointment? Mine's 2.45. Our friend, the dentist, he, he was 3.30. And it was like a social event. It's a small island. A lot of them I knew when I was a kid. So it was, you know, to really help them feel like they, they weren't alone. It's partly this communal nature of food. And so it can operate as a bridge, um, not just between neighbors and friends, but also between the living and the dead. Listen to Meet in 3 wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone, I'm Carlos Escas and today I'm your guest host. Today, I will be speaking with three amazing people. They are all involved with the Daphne Cephos Teaching Endowment and are advocates for cheese education. We have Rachel Jewell, Mary Quick, and Peter Dixon. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thanks for having us. Uh, thanks, Carlos. It's a real pleasure. Thank you. Rachel, or Jewel, as her friends call her, has been with the organization since the beginning. She is the chief administrator. Mary and Peter serve now in the board of directors, and I am also in the board of directors of this wonderful organization. And decided to interview them today to show how we are working and the changes that we are making. For those of you not familiar with the Daphne Cephas Teaching Endowment, we are a nonprofit educational organization that gives grants to expand cheese knowledge. We were set up based on the vision of cheese educator Daphne Safos, and since 2013, we have awarded eight scholarships. Those scholarships that fund travel to Europe, and it is better known as the DCTA. Last year, because of the pandemic, we decided to wait on giving a traveling grant until the situation is more manageable but still want to continue our work of creating educational resources for the cheese community. 
So we launched the, DS, the DCRA. This research grant allows people to conduct research without traveling and creating a resource that will be used to educate cheese lovers. Applications are welcome until May 1st, 2021. You can see more information on our website. So without further ado, let me start the conversation today with Mary Quick. Hi, Mary. Hi, Carlos. Great to be here. Mary is currently on the board, as I said. Um, you have uh, serving for a long time. Is that right, Mary? When did you start serving for the, at, the, at the board? Oh, gosh, I think three years ago I started serving. So not nice. so very long. Very good. And before joining the board, you were involved with the CTE, right? What, what, what was your involvement before joining? Well, we had some uh, recipients who came, rocked up at our farm, and we just learned so much from them. And I had met Daphne when she, when she uh, worked in New York, and uh, I just wanted to be part of this amazing organization. That's wonderful. So let me get right to the questions um, that we kind of have prepared. Um, what is the one thing you have learned during uh, a visit from one of our recipients that kind of has changed your way of thinking about um, cheese, cheese making, cheese education? Well, I guess um, what we do every day with starters and rind, cows and feed, grazing, um, our make room and uh, our store, you know, we tend to take all of that for granted. Uh, and these incredibly inquiring, passionate young people rock up and ask about everything and really point up things that we, we take for granted and, uh, and are actually just extraordinary. I guess particularly uh, about our rinds, how our rinds are formed and that, that natural microflora that creates our flavors but also about our heritage starters these amazing mixes of 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 um, complex mix of microorganisms that makes the complexity of our flavors and to have people coming and asking us about that we suddenly realize that the, we're dealing with something special and then we can play start to think about it and play riffs on it and yeah just really celebrate and highlight it so i've got that knowledge and understanding that's wonderful. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, no, definitely is. This is, you know, this has come up many times in our meetings, but uh, it's one of those ways in which, you know, people kind of like, by having someone visiting and doing this kind of research, you start looking again, uh, sort of in a new light, things you were doing before. So you have read uh, three years of um of applications, so you must have seen a lot of applications. Um, do you remember any one application that was like so interesting? What topics were they were at the beginning that uh, were sort of top of mind of everyone that maybe have disappeared? Have have ch topics changed a lot? Can you tell us about sort of how you have read these uh, three years of applications? It's been such a joy. Uh, You've got these really interesting, developed ideas for everything from, you know, affinage and starters and, um, you know, how traditional cheeses are made. But also you get, you know, could you do alpage? Could you do summer grazing in, in America? You know, how do we get cheese education out 
right out to every far corner of of the country. So it's to, uh, it just feels like it's walking. You walk into a sort of garden full of flowers, and there's just different flowers every year. And yes, of course, some themes, but there's just this amazing variety of of uh, of topics turn up, and you just want to roll around. And I want. I'd like every one of them to be a recipient, but of course you have to choose one. It's so hard. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. I love that vision of like walking in and there being a lot of uh, flowers with uh, different ideas. Um, do you have any any, spe any special um, sort of way that you read the applications? Do you wait until, you know, a, a Sunday afternoon to read them? Do you read them throughout the day? Do you... Do you have a drink or have a um, special meal before you do this? Well, it's because it's a lot of reading uh, that you're doing and you really want to honour these apl applications which people have spent so much time on. So I tend to set aside two times where I've got, you know, a couple of hours each time uh, and I read them through once and then I'll go back and uh, and read through them again. I'll make notes, I'll, I'll try and you know, try and see, is this person actually going to be able to achieve this? And, and um, you know, is this going to make, are we going to make a teacher here? Because that was really what Daphne, this uh, Daphne Zephos Teaching Awards is about. And just try and roll around in, in it and, and get to know them. Uh, and then I always get hold of Jewel and say, how am I going to make my mind up? This is so hard. And she said, oh, just, just do what you can. Um, you know, just, just, just say what there is to say for you. So it's, it's really difficult. They're, all, they're amazing. That's, that's, yeah, they're, they're fun to read. And, and that sounds like a, you have a wonderful time. And also, you know, you, you, you take this very seriously. So um, do you think the DCTE awards are changing the, the industry? Um, do you think we are having kind of an organization and, of course, the recipients an impact in, on traditional cheesemakers? Um, how do you feel, uh, you know, after being uh, three years with the organization and more involved uh, before that, um, how do you feel we're, we're changing our industry? Well, the vision that I've got is that, you know, right across the country, in every town, there would be an amazing uh, cheese shop where you could get some of these extraordinary cheeses or a farmer's market. And that, but that we would also, with this cheese education, that that's going to get out to everybody. So it's not just about the real elite cheeses, the really expensive cheeses, but this would enable everybody to understand where cheese comes from, you know, how great it is, the incredible variety of flavours that you can get from it. So I th I th it's difficult because I haven't been to the United States since COVID started, obviously. And, but, um, you know, that's what I, what I feel will happen is, is that you have cheese teachers and, and then there will be people who want to learn about cheese and understand about cheese. And it's that that over time will and is changing our industry, both for, you know, at, at the top end, but also right the way through. Right. 
Yeah, no, that's a that's a good way of thinking about it. Yeah, we're ready to have you back, Mary, and 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 definitely appreciate your time. Uh, for folks that are listening, we are recording this uh, in the afternoon in the United States. Mary is uh, logging in from the UK, uh, so we're gonna let her go. And and thank you, Mary, again. We are gonna go for a break, and when we come back, we'll have Jewel and Peter. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Conte Cheese Association. Conte Cheese Association represents the Conte PDO, Conte Protected Designation of Origin in the USA. Conte is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. This milk must be transformed into Conté within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Conté. Conté takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Conté is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of Conte is the same. Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every wheel of Conte is unique. Learn more about Conte, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Conte-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E hyphen U-S-A dot com. Welcome back, everyone. I am Carlos Yescas, and today I'm your guest host. Today I'm talking with people engaged with the Daphne Cephas Teaching Endowment. Next, we have Jewel. You, you have been part of the DCTS since the beginning, and you have had a big role in guiding our recipients to successfully complete their research and travel. So you are in a unique position to share with applicants your experience, but also with the audience about what you know has been going on for so long. But uh, let me start with a more sort of an ed- educational note. Um, I would love to hear from you. What is the one thing that you heard during a DCTA recipient presentation that you use in your everyday work? I love this question because, yeah, I, I administer the award, but I really get to learn also. I love being able to have both sides of the coin as part of my experience. Um, and I thought about this and I've learned so much, but something that my day job, for those who don't know, I work for Essex Street Cheese as the head of education and marketing. And so I'm constantly looking for ways to convey um, the stories or the histories behind our cheeses, how to help mongers practically sell cheese in a store in a store environment or online or whatever it is. And so I'm always looking for inspiration um, of different ways to do things. And I really found that I, I, I'll never forget this aha moment in a Vince Razionale's 2018 presentation. He won, uh, he received the award in 2017 and his goal was to travel to the United Kingdom and learn about uh, cheddars, but really learn about cheeses in a way of how do we 
how do we convey flavor profiles? Like, how do we actually convey, con communicate this? How do we explain it to mongers, but also in a way that is actually yielding sales instead of just kind of these nice flowery tasting notes that we share? And uh, especially if they can't understand the words we're using. And so what this thing he did during his presentation in Pittsburgh at the American Cheese Society Conference, he brought with us and passed around these cotton balls that he had stored in the Havid Cheddar storerooms uh, for months. He went, to the, he went to the Wales twice and about three months break between each. And so he kept these cotton balls in these little vials um, in there for three months so that they could absorb like all of the humidity and all of the smells of that space. And then he sealed them and he brought them back. And that summer he presented it to us and he had us pass around and we literally inhaled the smell of these cotton balls. And immediately it was just this completely three-dimensional sensory experience where everyone in the room could actually confirm that they were understanding what earthy meant. <laughs> and while enjoying the cheese, right? Because we use these words, but like if you haven't smelled that before or your definition might be different than the guy standing next to you, are you actually effectively communicating? And his, so his point was that the American consumer and sometimes even the monger really struggles to understand the difference between British and North American cheddars. You know, there's a recipe difference, there's heritage and things, but when you can smell that environment, it just captured everything better than words ever could. <laughs> Right. Like you can talk at someone forever, but once they smell it, then they got it. Right. And so it happened a year later. Um, I was building I had, had kind of been mulling around this idea and he just gave me the tools of how to do it. And I ended up building a curriculum at Essex based on this idea of calibrating our palates during tasting cheeses by smelling 18 different vials of different ingredients ranging from butter to croissants to wet wool to lemon peel to raw almonds and even fresh dirt. And what I have mongers do is I have them taste a cheese, write down everything that they taste, then smell the vials, and then taste the cheese again, writing down anything new or something actually more specific now that they can identify. They smelled it before, but they didn't know what the word was. It was like on the tip of their tongue. And so it was really fascinating to help a group of mongers unify their vocabulary. Because now when I say sheepy, but if you've never smelled wet wool, <laughs> that scripture is lost on you. Right. But right. now, because we passed around actually wool that I bought and dampened, we all like, ah, yes, sheepy. That's what that means. And so it was just this incredible thing where Vince's presentation just opened my eyes to a new way of actually using like props <laughs> to help <laughs> calibrate our palates. And so that we're calibrating our vocabulary and we're just more effectively communicating flavor profiles to professionals, but also consumers. So that when someone comes into the shop and we're saying lemon curd and lemongrass or, you know, fresh sod, and this person's a New Yorker who's never smelled fresh sod before, <laughs> you know, like that's really cool and eloquent, but it's not very effective. Right. And so it was just, that's literally something that like, I'll just never forget just being, it personally impacted my job um, and how I teach and how I personally taste cheese also. That's wonderful. I love all of that. And I have heard of this training that you do, and I know mm -hmm. that some of the cheesemongers get to do it um, mm -hmm. uh, at some of the events that, that are public. And, and I think it's a wonderful way to using that knowledge that, you know, like, like Mary was saying, has been built. And, and then, you know, when we have someone in your case, Vince comes and highlights it, it becomes really uh, the reality of the education that now we all use and, and are able to share with each other. 
thank you so much for sharing that. Um, now I want to move more sort of the sort of hard questions of you know, the, the award and you know, the endowment. Uh, and as I said uh, to our listeners, uh, you know, you have been managing, you get to, you know, see everything that goes into the background. And uh, I think you're the, the, the person that most people talk to when they're applying. And so um, I would like to start with what are some of the common questions that you get for people looking to apply um, that, that, you know, we could help people thinking of, of applying, um, you know, how, how to, to help them navigate, uh, you know, to be successful at getting one of these awards? Yeah. So that definitely there's a lot of questions, but the ones that really just come up every year are really two. Uh, how do I write a vision? <laughs> um, it's, the, <laughs> it's the number one requirement to applying. And it's really a foreign concept to many. To some, it's incredibly natural because maybe they've done it personally or their business does a lot of visioning. So to some, it comes more easily. They have some exposure to it or they've read books about it. But others, literally, they've just never, ever used this tool before. And so it can be awkward. You have to write in the past tense and you have to flesh out this really descriptive idea of what you've accomplished because of receiving the award. And so they're just very stuck on actually how to write this out. Um, mm-hmm. And so what we usually do is we offer, you know, examples of the past recipients visions that they've w- um, written because that can help them see, okay, this was a successful vision that the board liked, um, give you an example of what it looked like, what kind of details to include, what kind of details maybe aren't as important. Um, and yet they still feel really nervous because the questions are, well, what if I don't actually do the things that I write about? You know, will, will I be held accountable to that? The answer is no. Um, <laughs> and how do I know in the sense of what, you know, I want to, a lot of people end up being too vague in their visions. And my thing is be more detailed, really paint a picture of what it was like to be there. Who did you talk to? Where did you stay? What did it look like? And they get nervous about that though. Cause like, well, what if I can't arrange that interview? And that's okay. That's, we're not going to hold you accountable to that because something could happen. Something could change, but Really, we want to convey that you've kind of done almost a little bit of research in advance and you have this kind of idea of really what this could look like. Um, and so then but that still is always a struggle. So we recently did a great webinar um, thanks to a contribution from the great guys at Zing Train. And so that's available um, information and tools, things like that. We hope to have that be a regular thing. We had about over 100 people join that, which was really awesome. And I well, think that's fe- a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the feedback from that was I, I'm very excited to see how that impacts applicants, just the number of people who apply, because now they know the tool. Um, and I'd say the other thing, which kind of goes hand in hand, is, you know, well, what is the board looking for? And I always smile when people ask me that, because I'm like, you're not going to like my answer, um, <laughs> because there's nothing specific, you know, like there just isn't. And But the two things they are that like catches a board member's attention is inspiration and something personal. So something that truly makes their heads turn and discover that there's a need they hadn't even thought of before. I think of Ann Campbell's research to expand our definition of Mediterranean cheeses. And board members were like, holy crap, I've never thought we should do that. But yes, you're right. And so, yes, I want to support this vision. Um, or maybe they were aware of the need, but no one had actually kind of built a plan of how to address it. And I think of that in the case of Eric Meredith's research, that we knew that there's cheesemakers who struggle to get feedback. There's cheesemakers who struggle to be able to quantify flaws in their cheese. There's no real standard way to do that in the United States. However, France has an incredible system for that. And what if we could translate that over here? Um, and so that was very 
very something that resonated with the entire board was like, oh, someone is willing to go and put in the work. <laughs> and then the personal part of it. You know, our goal is that we're building teachers, like Mary said, but we're building teachers for a lifetime. And while we want to build teachers who can be well-versed in many things and just frankly be better teachers in anything they address, but we really hope that what they start with in their DZTA vision becomes a part of them, that they carry this on for the rest of their career. So when considering a subject, I just strongly encourage, choose something that you feel attached to. That will That's going to come through in your vision. That personal investment means that when we are going to give you this money, it's more likely that it's going to have a long-lasting impact if you really care about it, right? It's not going to be just this kind of passing interest for a couple months, and then all of a sudden in a couple years, you're no longer interested, you no longer want to talk about it, and that happens, right? We go through phases where we're super interested in one subject, but it's not really going to become our lifelong commitment. Um, right. And I think of, you know, Jess Perry was our first inaugural recipient, and she was just a wonderful example of this, of writing about Basque Shepherds. You could she saw them in her backyard in Utah. So this was right. something relevant to her. And she could see them, but also her mother grew up in the mountains. She spoke about that, that her mother, that's like in her blood to be attached to like mountain horse riding people, you know, and she felt a pull to that lifestyle. And so we felt that. And even eight years later, she's still very connected and personally passionate about this subject. And so um, that's what I like to encourage people is write about something personal, something that we feel like even the years after you've received the reward, you received the money, you've taught, you've done the things that you're still going to really care about this and want to even keep learning about it. Right. No, that's all very good advice. And I, I totally agree with you that you know, I have only read one sort of set of applications and there were definitely, you know, great, uh, great ideas that, you know, has the people have done a lot of sort of preliminary research, but then I didn't feel that they were necessarily connected uh, in a personal way. Um, and and so I was like, I don't know if, if that person is going to be able to do that later on or is going to be willing to, to sort of do the investment of time. And, and so, of course, I, you know, I, I personally end up choosing, choosing uh, you know, something that the person felt more attached and, and sort of more uh, personally committed to, to that. So that, mm-hmm. that's wonderful um, to share with, with people listening. And um, and so I, you know, I'm fascinated about this idea of things that were not or things that um, are right now, but in the future would probably not be anymore. And so I, I, I think that you have that sort of bird, bird's eye point of view of, of this thing. And so what do you think are some of the topics that are becoming really important that maybe were sort of uh, brought on because of the research of others? that maybe weren't at the beginning of, uh, you know, when, when the endowment started and, you know, how, how, how has that changed, do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, you know, when this started over eight years ago, there weren't that many scholarships available. So it was pretty groundbreaking, especially one with this much money that allowed you to travel to Europe. Right. This was, a, this was, that was unheard of, right? You had scholarships to go to conference or you had scholarships, you know, to kind of do maybe the Comte Association scholarship, very specific, you know, things, internships, but this was really revolutionary in that you got to build your whole idea. And so the top, you know, what was really important then was just kind of giving the opportunity to cheese people, 
right? Just even offering this idea. And so we built a foundation. The organization was committed to fulfilling Daphne's dream. You know, to we got the money. We had to raise money so that this could be something offered in perpetuity. Um, there was a lot of logistics. And so the ideas were really important, the topics of research. But we really just were like, here's money. Please take it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> please go pursue your dreams. And now what we're realizing eight years later, that's still very important. But I think, you know, the industry is always changing and the needs of the industry are always changing. And I think that with the board we have for the last couple of years is very committed to making sure we stay I, the opposite of tone deaf. We stay tone sensitive to mm-hmm. the needs of the industry. And what do mongers need? What do cheesemakers need right now? What does the public need right now? What needs to be raising awareness and kind of feeling a responsibility as an organization to honor that through the recipients who are then receiving the money. But then also, how are we giving back? You know, that this is also something that there's economic concerns, there's uh, time constraints, how we've really become, instead of just an organization that has money, we give you a check, you go learn, and then we kind (laughs) of have this disengaged relationship. It's almost like if, you know, if you sign up to to receive the DZTA, you're signing up to be kind of a lifer in our organization, <laughs> right. you know, like we're not going to quit you. We're going to keep following up with you and we're going to we're invested in your career and we want to ensure your success. And I think that's that maintenance of those relationships. Right. The beginning was just getting people to re- receive the award, just getting people to apply. And now it's like, wait. How can we make sure that this is sustainable, that they are feeling connected, that they are feeling that they can still continue this seven, five, four, three, two, however many years later? Um, how can we make it more accessible to people? We've nailed, that's why I'm really excited about this research award is that another concern that's always happened is I'd love to, who doesn't want $5,000 to travel to Europe, but I've got kids and I've got a job or I've got a company and I can't travel. So again, how do we address the ability to give educational opportunities to people that actually fits their needs and their lifestyle and what they can do um, while still giving back to the greater community of something that's relevant to the times. Right. And this is kind of like the perfect segue to, you know, the the fact that, you know, this award that we have is so different, right? That this Mm -hmm. one, this new one doesn't require people to travel. Not that we don't want people to travel. Of course, we love that. And, but really is is sort of focusing in now in, you know, maybe more nimble projects that can be done faster and that we turn out that information that those resources faster so that the industry is really learning and and that we are impacting that learning uh, process. Thank you so much for that, uh, Joel. Um, next, we have Peter Dixon. Peter joined the board just last year. Uh, am I right, Peter? That's correct. And so After your perspective, yeah. So your perspective is so very different, uh, you know, because you joined sort of like in the middle of the, you know, just before the craziness started of the pandemic, uh, and you've been helping us uh, sort of move forward with new ideas and plans. Um, let me just start with kind of the same uh, question that I said with with Mary. Um, so what is the one thing that um, you have changed in your cheesemaking practice after hearing from other, from one of the recipients? How has, you know, the sort of knowledge that has been created by the endowment uh, sort of impacted your own work? I was inspired by Sam Frank, uh, his presentation on heritage breeds to work with the farmer that we get our milk from only one farm one herd to 
begin to find the means to bring heritage breeds into the herd so he could be either keeping the pure lines or crossbreeding, which I've noticed some other very good cheesemakers in the U.S. have done effectively to make great milk, to make a very fine raw milk cheese. So that was really the thing for me. And I continue to hold a very strong interest in that because I think these particular animals are very well adapted to the kind of marginal land that's great for pasture and for making special milk for the best cheese. That's fascinating. So what type of animals did, did they have before and what are the sort of heritage breeds that they're integrating now? Yeah, well, they uh, actually have Jerseys and Holsteins that ha this farm is a grazing farm. So for the past decades, several decades, the cows have been going to pasture up to three quarters of a mile distance from the barn. And um, they're very good cows for that. But I was inspired to go to the Charlevoix in Quebec to investigate the Canadian cows because those are really the closest heritage breed to us. And they're cows that are specially adapted to a northern climate like we have here. So we're working on that angle. And we were just about to make some progress before the pandemic hit. So that's been put on the shelf. But in the meantime, a Dutch belted cow was given as a gift to the farm. So we do have one in there. <laughs> That's wonderful. Uh, well, yeah. we, we look forward to tasting uh, a cheese uh, made with the Canadians as well. I, I know yeah. that there's a lot of research in in Canada on, on that heritage breed. Um, now, sort of moving on to the sort of questions about the, the cheesemakers uh, and how, how the information that we're creating and the resources that are being created by the recipients have impacted. Um, would you care to, to share um, which topics do you think suffer from the biggest misconceptions about cheesemakers and cheesemongers uh, that maybe yours, it will be good to sort of delve more into? Yeah, I have the number one on my list that's always I've found very difficult here in the United States is the knowing the difference between raw and unpasteurized <laughs> milk cheese. And I would love for uh, some progress to be made on those lines so that we actually have a designation for raw milk cheese as it's done in Europe. Okay, Peter, uh, thank you for that. Uh, so last question, do you think cheesemakers have a responsibility to share their knowledge? And should they be compensating for sharing this knowledge? You know, this is kind of a question that has come up when uh, applicants are thinking is like how, you know, they feel sometimes bad that they're gonna go and stay with someone and they, they, they're shy that they're gonna be, uh, you know, requiring a lot of uh, commitment from a cheesemaker. And so I just uh, want to hear from sort of your end of what does it mean for a cheesemaker to sort of receive one of our recipients and how do how should they be compensated if they should be? Yeah, that's, that's a very personal question, I think. Um, 
in that it's really up to the it's you have to think about human nature and the way people are in the world and it's difficult to to know that in advance the way someone feels about that situation um personally i always enjoy the experience of having someone who's involved in cheese come and and work with me and spend time learning about what I do. Uh, but on the other hand, I have people that request different kinds of advice from me. Um, you know, I work as a consultant. And so there's this line of where, you know, where, where is the line is the question. And um, that's really my best answer. I think it's a very personal question. Yeah, no, that's a good answer, and um, and I think one uh, one that I wanted to include, uh, mostly because I I know that if people are listening to this, uh, that may be applying, um, that you know there is nothing set in stone, and and I think a part of what we're trying to do, and and Yoko, uh, help us here as well, is that we would help you to try to figure out what is the best way to approach a host, what is the best way to um, sort of have maybe that conversation, and what is your contribution? Um, do you, you have anything to share on that sort of very big topic? Yeah, no, it's a really critical thing, and it, it ties back to also, if, you know, once you receive the award, you're not alone to figure all this out, and I think that's a really, I, I appreciate that you brought that up, Carlos, because you know, you, you have these ideas of who you're going to go visit, but maybe you've never, you've only heard of them. You don't even know their email address. You don't have a rapport with them. You know, uh, we try to create a board that's diverse in relationships also to help bridge those gaps and to kind of, for lack of a better word, vouch um, for the credibility of our recipients so that when they are calling up, quote unquote, um, a cheesemaker or an offenure, it's not just some blind person that they may say no to, right? Um, is this worth their time? And so then when it comes to those things, you know, we also look at that's when you receive the monies um, for whatever it is for the research award or for the, the traveling award, the teaching award, you know, you are that money is we don't require receipts so we can figure out what's the best way to use that. Does that mean sometimes you do need to pay for some sort of like, you know, consulting interview with somebody or access to libraries or access to, you know, just personal information um, research and things like that. But then when it comes to being on the road, yeah, is there some way that I know Sam Frank actually is kind of a really wonderful one who <laughs> stretched every cent that he had by uh, visiting lots of them, but he volunteered to work. You know, sometimes it was that. It was kind of almost like a an unpaid internship where he went, but he was also a contributing person on the farm. He contributed in that way so that it was a, a sort of compensation in that in those meetings and those um, terms. Um, but we, yeah, we can help figure that out and figure out the best way to use your funds. Um, and what I can say is that with the, the example of something like this, of, with the, with, with our relationships in the DZTA, um, we don't, we haven't really run into a problem where cheesemakers are hesitant to have someone come, um, for their time. They are very excited because I'm sure as Peter can say, you want to share what you know, because it improves the greater industry, Right. 
Um, it also is great advertising for your own cheese, <laughs> um, right? So it's kind of awesome that someone's willing to show up and learn about it themselves and take their own time and do those kind of things, and it will pay off in the future. So, But if ever it does come up where it does feel like you need to have some sort of funds to yeah, pay a consulting fee or pay for access, something like that, um, we at our end on the board, and myself as the administrator, can help navigate that. So that doesn't need to be a an added stressor for an applicant. Um, yeah, we can help you navigate those dynamics. And it's connections and the artisan and traditional type mm -hmm. of cheese making community that a lot of the research is geared towards what people want to do. And so uh, it, it creates yeah. a, a more of a, of a good bet on, on a situation. That's another way we can help as well. Um, but I do think, you know, yep. in honor of Daphne, she was such a generous person. I mean, I have, if we had a longer show, I would love mm -hmm. to just tell stories about Daphne. And I could tell a couple that it's really, <laughs> that's where you just said, Jewel, that it's, it's about this camaraderie and the, and the, the genuine aspiration to share knowledge and just uh, spread around the goodwill. And I think that's what the Daphne Zeph was teaching and down yep. endowment has at its heart. All right. Um, thank you so much, uh, the two of you. Uh, this has been wonderful. I hope that uh, so many people are encouraged to apply, and you know they let their imaginations run wild and and send wonderful applications. I I know that I'm looking forward to reading the applications. I think that. The pandemic will will uh, spark different ideas, and I'm interested to see what is that people um, that are in different parts of the industry are thinking about the future. Um, and so, I thank you both for for sharing with me today and with our with our um, uh, listeners. Well, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Carlos and Peter. It's well, a privilege to be able to serve with you guys. Thank so, you. thanks. And thank you, everyone, for listening. This is uh, Carlos Jescas, your guest host. I'll be back next season uh, with new stories and exciting uh, locations. Uh, stay tuned. Um, and thank you to all the folks at the Heritage Radio Network, especially Amanda today, who is our engineer and made this uh, recording possible. Thank you. Bye. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.